Well, good morning, church. If you would, please open your Bibles with me to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, as we continue a series that we started last week called Stand Up, Stand Out, Spiritual Stability in Unstable Times. If you're a guest with us here this morning, we have been walking through the book of Philippians. And oh, the joy, the fun in Christ that God has allowed us through the truths of this passage. And really, Philippians 4 is one of the most beloved chapters in the entire Bible. And I think it's because Paul has given us these several principles on how we're to stand firm and enjoy spiritual stability, even in these perilous, unstable times. And you know what? We need that. The world appears to have a shortage of almost everything. We're running out of basic supplies that we've taken for granted for years. In fact, the other day, I went to Brahms, as every man of God should, and I began to order some food for my family. And, and I said, oh, and I, can I have a couple of sides of ranch? And the lady said, oh, well, I'm sorry, sir, we're out of ranch. Oh, excuse me, you're out of what? Oh, we're out of ranch. In fact, you better order gravy because we're about out of that too. I said, ma'am, is the world ending? And she just began to laugh. Life can be like that sometimes. And that's why we need to be reminded of truth. That's why we need to be reminded that we must be courageous in living out the gospel. We must stand firm, unceasing in our joy in God. Paul tells us in Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now, God isn't saying rejoice in every circumstance. God knows that life is hard. God knows that life is trying and frustrating, even heartbreaking. But God also wants us to rejoice in Him. And regardless of, of what we're going through, we're to choose joy. It's not always the easiest thing. I was headed to church on Monday, and in my neighborhood, to get to our church, I kind of go through this, this labyrinth of turns, left, right, left, right, and there's a couple of roundabouts and all of those things through our, our neighborhoods. And as I was coming to church, I, I began to, to notice that this woman was jogging, and two things stood out. One, she had this huge dog with her. It was kind of this golden lab, great Pyrenees mix. It was just this beautiful dog, but it was just ginormous. And then also the second thing that stood out was that her leash was different. It wasn't this kind of traditional leash that you would see. She had this leash that was attached to a belt. And so her hands were free. And she was talking on the phone. And you could tell, you know, she was kind of power walking and getting after it. And then all of a sudden, this dog just takes off. And apparently, there was a dog or a squirrel or something on the other side of this fence. And this huge dog just begins jumping on this fence. And so you see this woman, she's kind of, you know, grabbing this belt and kind of, you know, waving and all this sort of stuff. And then whatever was on the other side of the fence took off and so does this dog. And so I began to immediately say, well, you know, should I, should I follow this woman? Do I, do I stop my car right here in the middle of this neighborhood? And so I just kind of began to kind of gradually just roll down my window. Hey, are you okay? Are you okay? And so then she's kind of, kind of waving at me and, you know, laughing and probably embarrassed, but trying to, you know, kind of hold this dog and those sorts of, of things. And I said, hey, are you okay? And she's kind of, <laughs> and kind of gave me this as this dog began to pull all over our neighborhood. And then I just said, Happy Monday! If that is not a summation to kind of where we are right now in life and as a country and all of these sorts of things, I don't know what is. In the meantime, God wants spiritual stability for you. 
God wants you to stand up, stand out, stand firm. So how do we do that? We're going to take today one of the most humbling commands in the New Testament, fused with one of the most beautiful promises in the New Testament. Oh, the joy and the peace that awaits us in Christ. The one thing I want you to get in light of this text this morning. You ready? Don't worry. Pray. And I'm going to teach you from Philippians 4 how to do that. With that in mind, why don't we study verses 5 through 7. And your Bible says this. For the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul told us in Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I mean, why give such a command? Lord, you know this life is trying. You know this life is hard. You know it's frustrating. You know it's heartbreaking. Yet you say rejoice. Why? Verse 5. Because the Lord is at hand. That's why. The word is better translated near. It has two connotations in the original languages. One, a spatial connotation, to be near in space. God is here. Remind yourself of that truth. He is high and mighty, but he is not afar off. He is not aloof to what is overwhelming you right now. He's right here. Multiple times a week, I remind myself of this. God, you're right here. He is also, secondly, near in time. It has a chronological sense. He is always there, Paul's point. Because God is near and able, I can be stable. God is always near and nothing is too difficult for him. Understanding this truth is vital for our view of God shapes our lives and directs our conduct. The higher and bigger God is, the smaller our problems will be. In fact, it's always been this way. Did you realize that God in the Old Testament displayed his presence in a specific place multiple times? In fact, I'll remind you in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 15, that as the Israelites began to enter Canaan, the land of promise, God's presence was with them, not just in a specific place, but among specific people. Remember what God told Israel's leaders in Joshua 1, 9? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. Why? Because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Paul takes that same premise in the Old Testament and applies it right here. For the Lord is at hand. He emphasizes the Lord's personal presence within every believer. When our view of God is big, then our problems begin to become small. The bigger our problems, the bigger our God. And that is why Paul then commands us, do not be anxious about anything. This seems so improbable, even during this time. I mean, we are a nation under duress and constantly in stress. Are we not? With that in mind, what is it that you worry about then? I mean, for those of you who are taking notes, and you should, 
What is it that you're worrying about? Write it down. Are you worried about your health? I mean, obviously, a once-in-a-century pandemic can do that. Are you worried about the future? Just all that's going on around the world and even within our own kind of current administration and situation? Are you worried about your, your children or children's children, the economy, our country? What is it you worry about? Write it down. Then write this word right next to it, fruitless. I wanted to use pointless, but that's, that's almost a little too much. Fruitless. Worry is fruitless. Why? Because it produces nothing and takes almost everything. Worry doesn't do anything for us, but does many things to us. Worry only gives ulcers, not answers. And it's amazing to me the amount of research we have on this, yet we keep worrying, do we not? In fact, a noted psychologist did a study on worry and anxiety upon our culture within the last 10 years. And you know what they found? 85% of all things that we worry about, have anxiety about, never happen. Do you believe that? 85% of the things weighing us down, distracting us, keeping us away from what God has intended for us, never even happens. And the 15% that does happen, 79% of those, it really wasn't that bad. I mean, we are carrying a burden we were never meant to carry. We are continually being distracted, being thwarted from what God has intended for us because we struggle with anxiety, because we continue to worry. Vance Havner, the great evangelist, was right when he said, worry is like a rocking chair. As it gives you something to do, but it won't get you anywhere. He's right. And that is why Paul is so adamant here. Do not be anxious. Literally, stop being disproportionately concerned in all circumstances of life, in all of details. We have joy available to us. We are commanded to rejoice in the Lord. But instead, we struggle with worry. In fact, did you realize that Paul constructs this command in a way to indicate that the church of Philippi was constantly struggling in their worry and anxiety? Worry is not our circumstances, but our response to those circumstances. Can I encourage you with that? I mean, whatever situation, whatever hardship, whatever, whoa, didn't see that coming. That is not worry. How we respond is worry. Always remember, the greatest battle going on is not outside of us, but on the inside. We can choose joy. We can stand firm. We can be rooted in truth, courageous in living out the gospel. Or we can worry. Tragically, since this once-in-a-century pandemic... 62% of all Americans experience some sort of anxiety. Two out of three of us this morning are struggling in some form or fashion with anxiety. Can I humbly tell you as your pastor for the last 19 months, I think overwhelmingly the majority of issues, the majority of prayer requests, the majority of the things that come up in and among us have some sort of reflection to do on anxiety. 
A believer is commanded not to worry. Why? Because God provides for his own. That's why. You are too loved. You are too cared for. You are too protected to keep your mind and time on things that ultimately won't happen. To worry about things that have very little value in regard to the eternity of what God is going to do in and through you. Remember Jesus in Matthew 6? It's amazing to me in the Gospels how Jesus constantly addressed this issue. Why? Because God's people was worried. We, we, we struggle with this. But in Matthew 6, on the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever given, Jesus says in verses 25 and 34, do not worry about what you shall eat or what you shall drink or what you shall put on. For who can add an hour to their span of life? Great point. And he says, consider the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. And I assure you, Solomon in all of his glory wouldn't arrayed like one of these. Surely you have more value before your father than these. We have some friends who are vacationing right now in New Mexico and Arizona and just seeing kind of the western part of our country. Fascinating place. And they've entrusted my kids to take care of these rare indigenous bluebirds that are native to this part of Oklahoma. They're beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And they've been feeding these birds for, you know, well over a year. And now the amazing thing to me is it's humbling they entrust my kids to do that. Good luck. Uh, secondly, is that they told our children, you must feed them at specific times. Early in the morning and late at night. You want to know why? To protect them from the blue jays and the sparrows. And so my kids have been faithful to go over there early in the morning and they have a specific type of food and late at night. And if we can entrust fourth graders and five-year-olds to take care of rare birds, isn't the God of heaven big enough to handle what's going on with us? You see, we know this beautiful truth but do we believe it? You see this word anxiety here, in verse 6, it's from a word that describes a divided mind. A mind that is torn in several directions. Historically, it described a man in Asia Minor who upon his capture would be chained to multiple horses and then torn apart. Now can you see this context? Why Paul is so adamant to us Stand firm. Rejoice in the Lord. Do not be anxious. Do not be divided. Do not be torn apart. Because that's exactly what anxiety does. That's exactly what worry does. It takes nothing or everything from us. Produces nothing. Worry reveals the object of our faith. And the depth of our trust and understanding. Worry reveals who and what we are focusing on, what we truly prize in life. It's the great equalizer, is it not? It reveals the depth of our trust in God's goodness and God's care and God's provision and our understanding of what God is trying to accomplish in and through our lives. God sees the total picture. God has the end in mind in how he loves us. Thus do not be anxious, Paul says. 
Because constant anxiety is willful blasphemy. We know better. And we must live in standing firm. Why? Because we're chosen by God. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians 1.4. You are not a random stance of happenstance. A collection of ambiguous circumstances as a result of some combustion billions of years ago. What a joke. Complete nonsense. No, the Bible says you were chosen by God. The Bible says that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. The Bible says that you're redeemed by God himself. Psalm 77 verse 15, Galatians 3 13. That you were kept by God. He sees to it himself. We'll learn in verse 7, God himself provides his peace. He didn't farm this out. He didn't outsource this. This isn't some intern in glory. God himself does it. You are kept by God. In 2 Samuel 22 verse 24. 2 Timothy verse, chapter 4 verse 7. You'll be glorified with God. According to 2 Thessalonians 1.12. God knows you. Cares about you. Every trial, any instance is under his guiding presence. And according to his plan. James 1.2-4. 1 Peter 1.7. God is always good. And he's a good father to us. He knows and provides the things we need. And we'll study this when we get to Philippians 4, verse 19. Don't miss it. God is at work. And he's working all things for his glory and our betterment in Christ. Romans 8, 28. Romans 15, verse 13. God has the sufficient power for any situation in our lives. Psalm 68 verse 28. 2 Corinthians 12 9. May we in light of who God is rejoice in him knowing that he's near. Do not be anxious. Do not be disproportionately concerned. But rather may we trust in him. The great hymn writer, Fanny Crosby, was right when she said, He is all in all to me, and my song of songs shall be hallelujah. Oh, my Savior, I am trusting only thee. Don't worry. Pray. And Paul now sets this foundation with this humbling command to prepare you for a beautiful promise. The means in which we rejoice in the Lord. Yes, our circumstances are hard. They're frustrating. They're heartbreaking. But we can rejoice because God is near and we can come to him at any time with anything. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Prayer is God's remedy for anxiety. And to Paul, a Christ follower, is to petition God for everything. He is so adamant about this process and this pattern of life because worry and prayer cannot coexist with one another. When prayer begins, worry ends. 
And he uses here three synonyms for prayer to expound, not on a theology of prayer, it's not his point, but rather an, an attitude and a priority of how we are to approach God. The most important words you will ever utter each day are to God. Prayer is essential for the Christian life because we cannot transform ourselves. Change happens by God and God alone. God made you and through Christ saved you so that you could have an active, instant relationship with him. Can I tell you, that's the view of heaven. If you want to know God's desire for your life, the moment you give your life to Christ, and now that you're with Christ, is instant, active relationship. Prayer is the natural then and spontaneous activity of God's people aligning their hearts to God's will and glory. I've become so burdened by this. I think through this time and, you know, even in study in depthly, this passage, are we praying enough as a church? Are we gathering together to pray enough? God's so burdened me with this. I could see us in 2022 having an added emphasis on prayer. So what is prayer? Prayer is a God-led, heartfelt, word-driven conversation where we approach God continuously with anything, where we urgently ask God to answer the one thing, and we thankfully praise God in everything. Prayer is God-led. Remember in the Gospels when Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray? Yeah, they'd already been with him for a considerable amount of time. And they came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. He said, our Father who art in heaven, how will it be thy name? They were to come to God with an affirmation of who he is. You are high and lifted up. You are mighty, set apart, bigger, stronger. You never lose. You're howling in our mind and thus in our hearts. How we come to you and how we speak to you and how we live for you should be different. It's a God-led, heartfelt, word-driven conversation that this same God who is high and mighty and lifted up wants you to share your heart with him. To speak to him as a loving, kind, gentle, graceful father. From the word. That's why you've heard me encourage you to pray with your Bible open. To pray from the word. To read the word out loud. Why? Because when you read your Bible, God is speaking to you. That's why. And when you pray, you are speaking to God. How does God want us to speak to him? You ready for this? But in everything by prayer, that we are to continuously, with anything, go to God. This word for prayer here in verse 6 is the most common used word for prayer in the Bible. Anything is Paul's point. He elsewhere says, pray without ceasing. Never stop talking. For some of you, that's easier than others. Always communicating to the Lord. But God realizes that life is hard. 
There are real issues, real things that are going on. And so then he says with supplication. This word is to petition with one thing is his point. To ask God urgently for one thing. One thing. Jesus says you have not because you ask not. God knows. But he still wants us to ask. Thirdly. And then thankfully praise God. In everything. With thanksgiving. With an understanding that God knows what is best. That God loves you most. And he's got what's best for you. He's not holding back. He's not trying to trick us or trip us. He truly does know what is best and what is good in our lives. And he's a good king and the best king. And he's your king. That is to usher within us thanksgiving. You see, church, nothing is worthy of worrying about. But everything is worth praying about. I will find when we get to glory and we stand before our king, every single one of us in Christ will say, we worried too much and prayed too little. So how do we pray for those who we love? Before we're before the one who loves us most. Let me quickly give you five things. Five things. Number one, that they would accept Christ totally. That they would give their whole life, their heart and their mind to Christ. Totally. Secondly, that we would pray that they would love Christ passionately. That there would be a fire as a result of the light in Him. Thirdly, that they would obey Christ continuously. That they would understand that God's greatest blessings come when we trust Him most. That they would obey Christ the first time. That delayed obedience is actually disobedience. That they would obey Christ continuously. Fourthly, that they would live for Christ with thankfulness daily. Man, I know that I've challenged my own self in that. To have a, a posture and a discipline of thankfulness. To be grateful for who God is and what he is doing. All the blessings that come as a result of God's favor, grace, and goodness. Fifthly, that they would tell all about Christ faithfully. Don't worry. Pray. Pray in such a way that in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, that you would let your requests be made known to God. Prayer and thanksgiving should never be separate. You want to know why? Because thinking and thanking go together. Prayer's intent is to reveal our hopeful dependence and thankful trust upon the Lord. If time has taught us anything, it's taught us that nothing can change the past. That we cannot predict the future. But that joyful thanksgiving can change our presence. And as thankfulness comes into our heart, worry and anxiety go out. Praise God. 
You know, God in his goodness taught us that this week. We had not one, but two teams in the Women's College World Series. I mean, some of the best softball in the country was played right here in the state of Oklahoma. And we had one team that they were national champs. And, you know, I, I grew up near Norman, and so obviously I'm an OU fan. And, but I, I began, began to just, just fall in love with this team, just the way they played the game. And not just incredible talent, but the passion but also the, the fundamentals that were just clearly displayed. It's just unbelievable, the records that they achieved and, you know, the total home run record and those sorts of things. But it was really the stories that began to captivate me. In fact, the head coach, Penny Gasso, two weeks ago, someone stuck a microphone in her face and said, hey, what are you going to do to win this national championship? And she said before a national audience, you know what my chief aim and desire is to win souls for Christ, not win softball games. I don't care what side on the state you are on this issue, you can get behind that. And she started this season by showing her team the movie Gladiator, an historical classic. And from this movie, their team chaplain began to take the battle scenes of the Bible and use those as illustrations to point to Christ for her team. And this began to move within this team so much so that one of their best players developed this acronym. In fact, you may have seen it on their uniforms. You may have seen it on their helmets. You may have seen it on their hashtags. You may have seen them flashing it in their t-shirts. And as they were going about the dugout, B-A-T-L. You know what all this stands for? Boast about the Lord. What are their best players told ESPN, we found that softball is not a stage for us, but a platform for God. And they began to hold up four fingers. In fact, did you notice it? Every time they scored a run, every time they hit a home run, and they set the national home run record, so they hit a lot of them. They would hold up the number four. You know what that stood for? For God and for each other. They found that every blessing that doesn't turn into praise has the potential to turn into pride. And that is why I believe that Paul is so adamant at the end of verse 6 to include thanksgiving in our request. Because every blessing that we're not quick to turn into praise has the potential to turn into pride in our lives. Now, thanksgiving is different than praise. Praise is adoring God for who he is to you. Thanksgiving is thanking God for what he has done for you. Prayer is the relentless activity then of thanking God while pursuing Christ. Don't worry. Pray to God with anything. Be bold enough to urgently ask him one thing while giving thanks for everything. And if we are faithful to stand firm, we are faithful to rejoice in the Lord this is what God promises to do for us. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Pointedly, God's peace which 
reigns is Paul's point and is produced from his presence surpasses all human comprehension. It's truly mind-boggling. <laughs> Only God is Paul's point. What an incredible promise that God's peace and presence is inseparable from his people, says God. We have right now in my household kind of this inner dialogue of, you know, just kids trying to tell kids what to do. And, and so this phrase comes up all the time. Oh, yeah? Who said so? You know, if mom and dad say so, it's kind of a big deal. You know, who says so, Paul? God himself says so. My peace will guard your heart and your mind. Now, I'll remind you, this peace here is not a feeling. It's not of inner tranquility. It speaks here of a physical reality. It conveys here an attitude of inner wholeness, contentment, of thankfulness as a result of God's presence. Peace is a God-like quality given to us by the Spirit through our relationship with Christ. Through faith in Jesus, believers are at peace with God and have peace from God. So don't worry. Pray to God today and let Him worry about your troubles for tomorrow. Place your troubles in God's hands and He will set His peace in your heart. You see, Paul, in closing, he uses a military term here. Philippi was a military outpost of the Roman Empire. And Paul, knowing his audience that he did, he uses here a word to describe a heavily fortified and defended garrison. The citizens of Philippi would have known that Rome had sent their best soldiers to protect the strategic outpost. And these soldiers would guard the gates with their lives every day, 24 hours a day. And he uses the same imagery when he says he will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That God himself will actively and comprehensively guard our heart from fear, from doubt, from overwhelming stress or anything else. God does not often remove our troubles, but promises that he will be unmoving in the midst of our troubles. God taught Brent and I this early in our marriage. We had already been blessed with Major, our oldest, and God gave us a girl, Maggie Joy. And she instantly announced her presence to this world with one of the loudest screams you've ever heard in your life. The loudest of our five children, I assure you. Ah! And then she didn't make another word. And though God had blessed us with this beautiful baby on the outside, it was apparent, due to the intentional care of these nurses, that something was going on on the inside. You see, Maggie had a rare condition when she was born that the moment that she screamed, oxygen flooded into her lungs in her heart chamber. And though with these machines, and even on the outside, 
She was this beautiful, healthy baby. She kept failing these tests on the inside because the nurses couldn't find her heart, couldn't hear her heartbeat with a stethoscope. And so finally, after two or three hours of this, they came in and told us the news that no one wants to hear. We have contacted a pediatric cardiologist in Albuquerque. We were living in southeast New Mexico at the time. It's four and a half, five hours away. And she's on her way down here first thing in the morning because honestly, we can't hear your daughter's heartbeat. The machines tell us that she's alive. Obviously, she looks healthy. We can't find a heartbeat. So what would you do? I only had one thing to do, and that was pray. And so Brent and I prayed all night, waiting for this cardiologist to come to southeast New Mexico. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And Maggie failed every single test that night. Nurses would come in every half hour, can't find a heartbeat, we can't find a heartbeat, we can't find a heartbeat. And so we were prepared for the worst when this cardiologist came through the door. We had our bags packed and ready to go immediately to Albuquerque. And this wonderful woman came in and in four seconds said, there is nothing wrong with this baby at all. I drove four or five hours for this? We said, well, what do you mean? And she, she mentioned that, oh, she just has this rare whatever where oxygen has filled her heart chamber. And apparently through the night, it's dissipated. And I've got a vibrant, live heartbeat, the same one that's on this screen. She's healthy. Have a good life. Walked out. <laughs> and so Brynn and I embrace one another. And in the background, you can hear these nurses shaking their heads. And saying amongst each other, well, I've never seen this. I don't understand. How could this happen? You see, we have all this technology. We have all of this information that gives us this perceived power. But God in his goodness will bring times in our lives. We must stand firm. And we must rejoice in the Lord. And call upon a higher power. It is time for us to stand up, to stand out, to have spiritual stability in these unstable times. Don't worry. Pray. And may the heaven that can only come from God, may his peace be available to you as you faithfully stand firm for him.